Okay, time for a pop quiz for all of you who listen to the Romans series. Question, can we earn our salvation by doing good works? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Wednesday, August the 20th of 2008, and I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our 10th lesson on the essentials. And the purpose of this study, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, is to define Christianity. What we're doing is we're talking about the doctrines that are essential to Christianity, that without these doctrines, it wouldn't be Christianity. You'd have some other type of religion. So if this is your first time joining us, welcome, and if you've been with us all along, welcome back. We're glad to have you guys here. Hope you guys are having a fantastic week. I'm plugging right along on my schoolwork and everything and getting all that stuff done. Hopefully in a couple weeks we can uh, make up for those question and answer lessons that we haven't been able to get to yet this month. I made an announcement on Monday, in case you guys didn't hear it. Uh, I'm looking for original worship music to play on BibleStudyPodcast.org to close out the, the lessons. So if you are in a band, a praise and worship band, or if you have any original worship music that you have written and you have the rights to, and you want to be heard on BibleStudyPodcast.org, you know, we've got a pretty decent-sized audience here, so if you are interested in being heard, you know, get in touch with me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and I'll review your music, and, you know, maybe we can uh, we can have you featured on a lesson. So if that's something that you're interested in, that's something that I'm interested in. So anyway, like I said, uh, you know, I've been plugging away at my schoolwork, and uh, right now I'm working on a paper on the Oneness Pentecostal cult, and uh, man, it is just crazy what some of these cults out there believe. But I just gotta say that that's the reason that a study like this is so important. That's the reason that a study on the essentials is so important. And of course, this study is based on the book written by Dr. Norman Geisler and Dr. Ron Rhodes called Conviction Without Compromise. If this is a book that you're interested in, if you're interested in this type of thing, you know, the the study of the doctrines that are essential to Christianity, this book is number one on our recommended reading list on BibleStudyPodcasts.org. You can go to our homepage, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and on the right-hand side, you'll see a link for recommended reading. If you click there, you'll see this book, Conviction Without Compromise, uh, at the number one spot. But we've got a whole bunch of books in there, so if you guys are looking for some good reading material, you know, check it out. But anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to understand our faith more and to understand you more. Lord, I just pray that as we open up your word today and as we study your word, that we would be convinced that you are true and that we would understand you more in order that we can glorify you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today's lesson is going to be a little bit unique in comparison to the previous doctrines and the previous studies we've covered in this study on the essentials. You know, every doctrine we've covered up to this point has been, you know, pretty black and white. 
And among Orthodox churches and groups and individuals, you'll unquestionably find unity on just about every single point up to this one. Now, the doctrine that we're covering today gets interpreted just a variety of ways. And it's actually among the most prominent issues which led up to the Reformation. The Reformation, of course, uh, if you're you know new to your faith and you don't know this terminology, I'll try to define these terms as we go along. The Reformation is the point in history where the Protestant movement broke off from Roman Catholicism. Uh, now, there were three issues which really sparked the Reformation of the 16th century. That's when it happened. Uh, the belief that the Bible alone is the source of authority over doctrinal matters was the first issue. The belief that the Bible alone is the source of authority over doctrinal matters. Now, the Roman Catholic Church had come to view their own tradition as an authority, as well as the doctrines which were established in the various councils. So Martin Luther and John Calvin and the other Reformation leaders rejected the authority of tradition, and they rejected the authority of the councils because they felt that the councils had become too political and that they were gradually straying away from Scripture and replacing the authority of Scripture. So that was the first issue. The second issue was the priesthood of all believers. As you may know, the only way in that time that you could read the Bible under the Roman Catholic Church was to be a priest. Further, you had to be able to read Latin because the only translation that they would allow was the Latin Vulgate. However, most people weren't sufficiently fluent in Latin. It wasn't, you know, part of the common vernacular. So when they read it, they couldn't make any sense of it. Or if they tried to read it, they couldn't make any sense of it. And further, the Roman Catholics taught that their priests were mediators between God and the people. The Reformation Fathers disagreed. So that was the second reason that the Reformation leaders parted ways with the Roman Catholic Church. Now the third issue is the issue that we're covering today. The third issue was justification by God's grace alone through faith alone. In other words, the Reformation leaders held the position that the only way that one could get to heaven was by God's grace, which was received by believing in Jesus. Okay, so the Roman Catholic Church believed that, right? Or did they? They certainly seemed to. At the Council of Trent, which was in the middle of the 16th century when the Reformation happened, uh, at the Council of Trent they wrote, If anyone shall say that man can be justified before God by his own good works which are done without divine grace through Christ Jesus, let him be anathema. Now, I know that you know, a lot of you guys probably aren't going to know what anathema is. Anathema, as you might be aware, means to be banished or kicked out, or as the Roman Catholic Church would say today, uh, excommunicated. So the person who denied the necessity of God's grace was anathema. So far, so good, I suppose. But then they also wrote, nothing that precedes justification, whether faith or works, merits the grace of justification. For if it is by grace, it is no more by works. Otherwise, as the apostle says, grace is no longer grace. End quote. Now, this last part was actually in reference to Romans chapter 11, verse 6. Uh, for any of you who might be going along with us in our Roman study, and maybe you read a little bit ahead, and I hope that is the case. But anyway, uh, in Romans eleven six, we read, But if it is by grace, if salvation, that is, is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So, that still sounds right in line with what we believe, right? Yes. 
That's exactly what we believe, in fact. The debate, however, isn't over the necessity of grace. The, the, the debate between Protestantism and Roman Catholicism isn't over the necessity of grace. Both Protestants and Catholics believe that grace is necessary for salvation. But instead, the debate was over whether or not salvation is by grace alone. Now, as you may know, uh, I would be classified as a Protestant. Uh, not that I like to imply a necessary division in the body of Christ. You know, I'd rather you know see unity. I'd rather see us all holding to the same truths and standing together. But this issue is central to the gospel message, and I think that the Roman Catholic Church has this doctrine all wrong. So keep in mind here that I'm coming from a Protestant perspective, but I'll try to be as objective as I possibly can as I discuss what the Reformation believed the Roman Catholic Church was mistaken about, and what I believe the Roman Catholic Church is mistaken about as well. So, the Roman Catholic Church teaches something called first actual grace. Now, this first actual grace is when God reaches out to a person and gives that person the grace that will enable them to seek God, to have faith in God, and uh, so on and so forth, to prepare their soul for baptism and justification. One can, however, resist this grace. In order for it to be effectual, in order for the effects of it to take place, the person must receive and respond to it. Okay, so far so good. We believe in this too. That's, that's fine. But this is where we kind of start to part ways. How do we know if somebody has responded to it? Well, according to Roman Catholicism, we know that because they start doing good works and living a good moral life. And it's these good works that prepare a person's soul for baptism and for justification. We find this reflected in another statement, which was made by the Council of Trent, which said that when a person is, quote, proposing to receive baptism, they are moved to begin a new life and to keep God's commandments, end quote. Now, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that once a person is baptized, original sin is removed from the person's soul. And in its place, uh, God puts this sanctifying grace. So the original sin is replaced by sanctifying grace. And this is the point that they refer to as initial justification. Okay, this concept of initial justification is completely foreign to Scripture. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible. However, this initial justification is something that can't be earned by good works or by obeying the commandments of God. So the Roman Catholic Church teaches that this initial aspect of justification is by grace. For the Roman Catholics, this is received at the moment a person is baptized. Hence the reason that baptism for Roman Catholics is necessary for salvation according to their own writings. The Council of Trent declared that, quote, if anyone shall say that baptism is optional, that is, not necessary for salvation, let him be anathema. Wow. Do you see how or why we as Protestants have, you know, just kind of been parting ways here with the Roman Catholics? You know, nowhere does the Bible teach that baptism is necessary for salvation. And, uh, you know, this is something that we've covered somewhat extensively and supported biblically over and over and over again in our Roman study. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. And so you can't uh, outwardly express what you haven't inwardly experienced. And so therefore, we believe that salvation must logically precede or come before 
baptism. Also, in Acts chapter 10, when Peter is at Cornelius' house, he says, who can deny water for these people who have received the Spirit just as we did? So those people were already saved, they were already baptized by the Holy Spirit, but they had not received a water baptism yet. So for that reason, you know, we reject the notion that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. But following this initial justification, the Roman Catholic Church teaches something called progressive justification. And this is the justification that occurs over the course of a person's life as they continue to obey God's commands and live a good moral life, which in turn earns, yes, earns them additional grace. So they teach that it is this additional grace that is earned that's necessary for a person to enter heaven. The Catechism of the Catholic Church reads, quote, Since the initiative belongs to God in the order of grace, no one can merit the initial grace of forgiveness and justification at the beginning of conversion. However, moved by the Holy Spirit and by charity, we can then merit for ourselves and for others the graces needed for our sanctification, for the increase of grace and charity, and for the attainment of eternal life. That's crazy. That's nowhere in Scripture. And then Pope John Paul II taught that, quote, a good life is the condition of salvation. Wow. Well, contrary to Roman Catholicism, the Bible teaches that justification is a single event which occurs the moment a person is declared righteous before God as a result of having received the righteousness of Christ as it is imputed to them. While sanctification, sanctification, not justification, sanctification is a lifelong process, justification only happens once, and it's at the moment that a person puts their faith in Jesus initially. So let's talk about some of the scriptural support for that belief. First of all, Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 tell us that, quote, Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now, what this passage clearly, clearly, clearly teaches is that, as odd as it might seem, the person who is justified is the person who does not try to work to earn their salvation. Instead, the person who is justified uh, has realized that they are incapable of pleasing God on their own. We also can't stress enough the significance of God justifying the ungodly. That's what Paul says here. Him who justifies the ungodly. You know, it doesn't say that uh, that God justifies the person who has lived a good moral life. It doesn't say that God justifies those who have completely kept or come close to having kept all of God's commandments. It says that God justifies the ungodly who have exercised faith. Their faith is then exchanged for righteousness. And this passage alone makes it just abundantly clear that works play no role whatsoever in justification. And then in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, and come on, you guys all had to know that I was going to be all over Romans for this. But uh, in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, we read, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Again, we're referred to here as sinners, rather than as people who have lived these good, moral, upright, ethical lives. And also, rather than people who have been cleansed of original sin by being baptized. Uh, you know, the first ten verses of Romans chapter 5 tell us that God saves the ungodly, the sinners, the enemies of God, and perhaps most importantly, it tells us in verse 6 that we're helpless by ourselves. So if we're helpless then we can't earn grace, right? Okay, let's let's switch books here. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9, we read, "For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast." It simply doesn't get more straightforward than that, friends. We're not saved as a result of works. We can't earn God's grace. Because if we could, we would have the opportunity to be boastful. And then Paul writes something extremely significant in in the next verse, here in uh, verse 10, writing, For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're a new creation in Christ for good works. Did you catch that? We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. In Titus chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 we read he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior. You know this is written in just such plain black and white straightforward language that I don't think I even really need to comment on it. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 2. Paul says, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He goes on to answer this question in verses 12 and 13. In verse 12 he says that the law is not of faith. And then in verse 13 he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, it's pretty easy to see why the Reformation fathers believed as they did and consequently up and left the Roman Catholic Church. And in closing, friends, it's, you know, it's always worth noting that about 99% of the cults out there deny salvation by grace alone, instead teaching that salvation must be earned by works. The most famous of these groups is probably the Mormons. As if we needed further confirmation that Mormonism is not affiliated with Christianity. But anyway, the Mormons teach that God's grace is the power that enables people to, quote, lay hold on eternal life and exaltation. And by the way, side note here, for those of you who don't know, exaltation is when a person becomes a god themselves. They're promoted or exalted from human being to God. So it says, lay hold on eternal life and exaltation after they have expended their own best efforts. In other words, you can't get to heaven on your own, but if you put forth your best effort, God will carry you the rest of the way. And similarly, the Mormon book called Gospel Principles teaches that Jesus, quote, became our Savior and he did his part to help us return to our heavenly home. It's now up to each of us to do our part and to become worthy of exaltation. End quote. And again, exaltation is the promotion from man to God. Uh, Bruce McConkie, in the book titled Mormon Doctrine, writes, quote, Grace is granted to men proportionately as they conform to the standards of personal righteousness that are 
part of the gospel plan, end quote. And then Mormon uh, author Spencer W. Kimball writes, quote, one of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God. That belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation, end quote. He says it originated with Satan. You know, clearly Mormons are not Christians. And, you know, they've been referred to as a cult from their inception for a really good reason. And I know a lot of people get confused about this stuff, but if you go through this study on the essentials, you'll see Mormons are not a Christian religion. They are something totally works-based, works-oriented. Anyway, the Jehovah's Witnesses are another group that uh, that denies the sufficiency of God's grace. What they teach is that a person must remain faithful to Jehovah by preaching from house to house, uh, distributing Jehovah's Witness literature. Uh, you guys have probably all seen that. And by having home Bible studies. The Watchtower, which is the organization over the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, the Watchtower teaches that, quote, to get one's name written in that book of life will depend upon one's works, end quote. Wow. So the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, those groups both deny the sufficiency of God's grace. But so do the Oneness Pentecostals, these guys that I'm writing this paper on. The Oneness Pentecostal cult also denies the sufficiency of grace, teaching instead that a person has to be baptized uh, by water in the name of Jesus only, not in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus only, and that the only way to know that you're saved is if you speak in tongues. The only way to know that you're saved, according to the Oneness Pentecostal cult, is if you speak in tongues. Well, hmm, you know, that's pretty odd, since Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 5, that not all of the Corinthian believers spoke in tongues, but then in chapter 12, verse 13, he told us that they had all been baptized by the Spirit. So clearly, you know, this is completely off, just way out there. Friends, Salvation is not about good deeds. It's not about ceremonies or rituals. You know, if these things, uh, if these types of things were sufficient for salvation, then Jesus died in vain. The bottom line is, we are only saved as a result of the grace we receive as a result of our faith. The Bible teaches us that we are saved by God's grace and only by God's grace. And for that reason, this issue is essential to Christianity. I hope this clears it up for anybody who might have wondered, what do I have to do in order to be saved? What do you have to do? You have to put your faith in Jesus. That's all. That's all there is to it. And you'll be saved. It's impossible to keep God's commands. It's impossible to please him by good deeds. And the reason it's impossible to please God by good deeds is because you have selfish motives if you're trying to earn your salvation by doing good deeds. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, especially Mormons, they really you know, put an emphasis on good deeds. Uh, Mormons aren't doing good deeds because their motive is to be exalted to godhood. Their motivation is not just to make the world a better place. It's for themselves. It's to exalt themselves. So that makes it impossible to do good deeds. So anyway, I hope this clears it up for you guys. If you guys have any questions, as always, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. But uh, you know, I hope you guys have enjoyed these lessons so far. I have really enjoyed this series. But anyway, I'll see you guys next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.
This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.